Thank you, Cleone, for encouraging us with your testimony this morning. Um, if you know Cleone, Cleone is one of the most encouraging uh, friends we have at this church. She encourages many people. That's a great ministry that she has. And uh, um, I just wanted to uh, let's give her a hand for getting up and sharing via video. And thank you for sharing your story with us. Um, well, it does my heart good to be with all of you this morning. If we've not met before, my name is Ken, and I am the pastor here at, at, at Crosswinds. And uh, we're in a series right now called Being the Church. You know, at Crosswinds, we don't believe the Bible teaches that the church is a place you go to, but something that we all are. And um, as a church, one of the main things we're supposed to be is encouraging Um, which is today's message, be encouraging. Our mission as a church is to help every family discover God, his love, and his ways. And the actual culture of what a church feels like will actually trump that mission of the church. So if we're going to be effective as a body of believers, we can't just have the truth of the gospel, but we have to have the culture of the gospel in our church. Encouragement is what it actually feels like as the gospel moves from one believer to another believer. Being encouraging is part of what it is to be a Christian. It's not something that just people who have the knack for it do or that have the gift for it do. Yes, they they do it, but it's something that is a mark of all who are in Christ. Uh, Being encouraging should be the predominant tone of all of our lives, of our speech, of our homes, of every relationship that we have if we truly believe in the gospel. The authenticity of our message as a church depends on us being encouraging. Think about it. If if God sent his son to to proclaim the good news to the poor, he had him proclaim liberty to captives, he sent him to recover sight to the blind, and set at liberty all those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, how can we be Debbie or Doug Downers and authentically reflect him as his disciple? So being his church is being encouraging. You know, when I first started leading Crosswinds, we started identifying seven cultures or things we needed to focus on as leadership in this church. One of the very first things was this first culture, encouragement, being specific and generous in our praises and celebrating as a community and individually when people do well. See, the gospel should bring in two changes into us. First, we should start accepting and believing the truth of gospel doctrine. And then we should start living and start experiencing the beauty of gospel culture. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John 13, 35. See, we are changed by receiving God's love in Jesus Christ. But the world knows his disciples by our love 
for one another. Gospel culture and a culture of encouragement is exactly what the church is or is supposed to be. Yet, you know, often churches can be discouraging places. They can be known as places full of critical people who point out sin more than point out the truth of God's amazing grace. You know, this is especially true of legalistic environments that emphasize our performance more than the performance of God's grace. And sometimes in some places, it's almost like people are afraid to encourage others because they might make someone prideful, thus sinful, in saying something complimentary or nice to them. The scripture says this, says God inhabits the praises of his people, not their criticisms. We praise God because we love him. And if we do not praise one another, then do we really love one another? Instead of love in Christianity today, it seems that often we have settled for mostly strong doctrine or information of doctrine and a little bit of blah, vague, predictable, socially acceptable niceness instead of lovingly encouraging one another. Living in today's world is often very discouraging. There is little good news out there, especially if you watch the news. People are quick to grumble and complain, often in our workplaces. Many families um, uh, only dole out love or a good word if there's good performance. And often encouraging words are very scarce. So for our church to be life-giving, for it to be relevant, to be important in people's lives, this must be one of the most encouraging places people come to. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, 14, a man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? So a lack of encouragement, as friends, is actually more devastating than the coronavirus to our world and to our church. In Christ, we have something to offer that our world desperately needs right now. You know, many are discouraged right now out in the world, especially right now. From August 2020 to February 2020, the percentage of adults with new symptoms of anxiety or depressive disorders increased from 36.4 to 41.5%. The percentage of those reporting unmet mental health care needs increased from 9.2 to 11.7%. The largest group affected were adults aged 18 to 29 years old. And I'm really thankful for our great next-gen group that is encouraging that age group and encouraging one another. And we just need to keep growing to, 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 to keep encouraging people. The Bible tells us this, that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. That's from Proverbs 18:21. The dictionary definition of encouragement is the action of giving someone support, confidence, or hope. The, the New Testament verb encourage is translated or it means to comfort, to cheer up, to console, or to speak to in a friendly manner. 
Just being kind, giving kind words to someone at the proper time can make the world of difference to their lives. It can save a life when they're in despair. You know, a few years back, my father was going through a health crisis, and he was living with us, and it created a lot of stress and a lot of tension in our house. My adult children were also growing through a transitional time in their lives, and so they were not sending a lot of kind words towards me or, or Kathy. Um, and I was being criticized by some in the church because they felt like my attention was not meeting their needs And I was working double the hours I normally work, trying to keep everything afloat. And it just seemed like nobody in my life had a kind word or was pleased. And and during that time, I had to get injections in my knees. And the physician's assistant, uh, a stranger, was so kind to me, so understanding. She could see the stress that I was under and offered many encouraging words to me. And I almost broke down and cried because it had been so long since someone had expressed kindness and concern for me. You know, I would have gone there every day to have her put needles in my knees because I was so starved for a little encouragement. How much could encouragement affect the world if we could be the most encouraging place out there because so many people need it. The church is to be encouraging. When Jesus gave us Holy Spirit, uh, he gave us the noun verb encourage in John 14, 26. The Holy Spirit, our comforter, our helper, that word is means is the noun verb of encourage and it, it, it is paraclata, para, para, I need Jason for this, para, Lekatos in the Greek language, it, it is someone who advocates for someone or defends or pleads another person's cause for them before a, a judge. You know, we all get discouraged. We all get discouraged because people in the world, because our sin and the devil are constantly laying accusations against us. Discouragement comes when we start believing what other people our sin and the devil are saying about us more than what God has said about us. The role of the Holy Spirit is to guide us in all truth in God's word. And and the message of the entire Bible is ultimately good news. And we should be encouraging one another with the good news of God's love for us, the good news of his plan to redeem us, the good news of his plan to bless us in the beloved forever. Actually, God's words are the most encouraging words. You know why? Because they're true. They give you the truth about who you really are, who really loves you, and what you can really count on. In life. As the church, we are to remind each other of these things. His word would encourage us to encourage one another with the truth of his word. Being the church is being filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Words of truth, friends, are always encouraging. Grumbling and complaining are always discouraging because they misrepresent the truth of who our God is and who we are to be as his people. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for each of you. While encouragement is based on truth, the world instead tries to encourage us by hyping us. They seek to inflate us with positive rhetoric. Often that rhetoric has no real substance behind it. Hype is ultimately discouraging because it is a lie. Some of you know that for many years I I worked as a professional juggler, and I meant to bring some juggling stuff today, but you've seen me juggle. And I've always liked gravity. I like gravity because it's honest. It's predictable. What goes up must come down. And when I understood the principal truths of gravity, then juggling became fun. See, if gravity was inconsistent, juggling would not be fun. I'd throw something up and it would go somewhere else. Because there's this principle of truth to gravity, juggling is a lot of fun. The truth of God's word gives us consistent principles on which we can count on, which is comforting. God has a design. We talk about that a lot. For every of our life, because he has created all of life, And Jesus' words encourage us because they are true. He he does not give us hype like the world does. Jesus does not blow sunshine up our butts so that we get disappointed later. He says encouraging things like, you'll have trouble in this life. That's honest. In John 16, 33, says, I have said these things to you that you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation or trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Taking heart means to have courage. We can have courage or be encouraged even in the troubles of life if we believe the truth that he has overcome this world. When we encourage others, we need to be honest and deal in truth about the good and the bad in situations. For example, one of the most encouraging verses to me personally is this. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua 1.9. In that verse, God is encouraging a new leader of his people, Joshua. God is not saying that leadership for Joshua is going to be easy. What God is saying is that Joshua can be strong that he doesn't need to be afraid. He doesn't need to despair because of one simple truth. The Lord is with him wherever he goes. Actually, the truth is, if God is not with him, he should be afraid. He should be dismayed, no matter how capable a leader he is. Joshua had great obstacles ahead of him. He had armies more capable than the one he led. He had armies better trained, better equipped, that he had to face. And what Joshua needed most was confidence so that he could move forward and fight for his people. 
it, it really didn't matter how capable he was if he didn't have courage. And God comes to him and, and, and gives him courage because the truth is, if God is for you, who can be against you? Actually, a zero can be a hero if God is with you. Infinite power plus zero is still infinite power, isn't it? The reality is, it would be normal to be frightened and despair if you were in a situation like Joshua. To be courageous, Joshua had to obey the truth of what God said. I am with you. Now, I'm sure Joshua had to remind himself of that many times as he faced his enemy. God is with me. God is with me. God is with me. Maybe even his friends and his fellow soldiers had to remind him of what God said. God is with you, Joshua. God is with you. You know, I remember when Pastor John told me he was retiring um, from Crosswinds Church. That morning I was studying to preach Joshua 1. And the book of Joshua starts with Moses is dead. And then God gives Joshua a vision of how he would lead and tells him to be strong and courageous. You know, it had been normal for me to panic when my 15-year ministry partner stepped down. But the truth is, this verse encouraged me. I thought John is dead. Not really dead, but, you know, leadership-wise, he's done. He's done leading here. Ken, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to to the law of Moses, or John, my servant commanded you, do not turn from the right or the left that you may have good success wherever you go. I was encouraged, not because I felt capable, because I knew God was capable and his word was capable, and he was with us as his church. And we started to have victories as a church body. Things started to, 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 to move forward and, and, and do well. And then a little thing like a COVID-19 pandemic started. And again, I could have panicked. But I heard, be strong and courageous, Ken, and be careful to follow the truth of his word. And every day in my prayer time, I pray this verse. Now, you may say that was just a promise to Joshua. But isn't the same promise given to us through Jesus when he gave it to his church in the Great Commission. He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Wasn't that an encouraging statement that Jesus made to the disciples to give them courage to go and do the job that they needed to do? So if we are to be his church, we can be encouraged because the truth is God and Jesus are always with us because they're one and the same. To be the church and be encouraged and encouraging, there's another truth. We must be together. Hebrews 10, 24 says this, And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's from Hebrews 10, 24. To, to, to be encouraging, first we need to consider something. It, encouragement doesn't happen by accident. It's purpose, purposeful work. So we need to make sure our words are specific 
that they're truthful, and that they're focused on building up another as we seek to encourage others. Encouragement, friends, is not flattery. Flattery is a lie that we tell to build someone up falsely for our own benefit. Instead, encouragement is to build up others on the truth for their benefit. The Proverbs say, A lying tongue hates its victim, and a flattering mouth works ruin. That's from Proverbs 26, 28. Encouraging words are not always what we want to hear, but what we need to hear to live, thrive, and survive. You know, the most encouraging words are those spoken in love to benefit the hearer, even if they're not pleasant at first to hear. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Perfuse, many are the kisses of an enemy. It's not encouragement or love if we don't tell someone the stove is hot before they touch it. It's not. And if we tell someone the, 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 a hot stove is cold and they get burned touching it, that's pretty discouraging as well. It's often how we tell people that the stove is hot that determines whether it's encouraging or discouraging. If we say, dummy, the stove is hot, when they're nowhere near the stove, that could be really discouraging, couldn't it? Because it's an attack on their character, not an explanation of their problem and the danger they're in. Now, if their hand is just about to touch the stove and we passionately yell, don't touch the stove, you might get burned. They may feel a little dumb because you expose their foolishness, maybe a little harshly, but they're still encouraged because their hand is not burned, right? The wounds that came from a faithful friend who loved them enough to warn them of a truth of an impending disaster is what encouraged them. It maybe was a little bit of a wound to be yelled at, but they, they got the message. The Bible tells us to speak the truth in love. How loud or how strong we encourage with the truth depends on how caught up in danger somebody is. See, Jesus' speech was both tough and it was tender. He was tender with sinners that were caught and trapped in their sin and brokenness. And a bruised reed he would not break. But Jesus was also tough with those who were prideful and were stubborn and were not listening to the warning to be humble before God. See, God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. See, proud people are in an eternal danger. It is loving to exhort or to encourage them with tough words sometimes that they might find humility and find grace. See, flattery only builds up pride and our motivation often to flatter is so that we are liked. To really be encouraging to someone is to take the risk of not being liked but being truthful for their benefit. The gospel is good news to all but it does offend our pride. To be encouraged by it, we must first face the hard truth that we're sinners. Sinners who have rebelled against God. Sinners who deserve His wrath. 
and encouragement comes when we then can humbly accept the truth that if we seek his mercy through his promised son, we will find his grace and his mercy instead. We have to know that we have been saved from a hot stove. Otherwise, the gospel is not encouraging to us. It's just information. See, if you, if you don't think the gospel's encouraging, then you don't realize the stove was hot. A gospel that does not save us from anything is, is not encouraging. Religious people flatter themselves and each other with a false gospel that says their own goodness can satisfy that hot stove, that it can satisfy God's wrath for our sin, which is lying. It's saying that the stove is not hot. And believing that lie will get you burned because it's hype. Saying, yes, the stove is hot because of our sin, yet God loves us and his love for you is hotter than his anger. And he sent his son to be your protecting oven mitt so you can draw close and know him and touch him. Telling someone the truth that they need to hear helps them put on the glove of faith, the the glove of Jesus, before they get burned. You know, it's encouraging if they they escape the flames. Here's a truth of God's word. The righteous will live by faith. That's from Habakkuk, but it's it's quoted throughout the Bible in the New Testament, at least four or five times, and it's what what the, the Protestant Reformation is all about, that the righteous will live by faith, which is accepting the truth of the gospel that we're not wonderful in our performance, but he is wonderfully full of grace and mercy towards those who have faith in his son Jesus and his goodness. The text says, stir one another up. To be encouraging requires us investing ourselves. You don't stir someone up by saying, hey, let's do lunch sometime. Or, hey, let's go to dinner sometime. You stir each other up by having a meal together and sharing the hope that you have with each other. We are to stir up love. Love is more than a positive feeling. It is a doing. Agape is the Greek word for love here. And it's actually a noun. The Bible says God is love. He does not love because he feels like it. He loves because that is what he is. Encouragement, friends, is love. We intentionally come together to love one another or encourage one another. We are here to stir up God's love for each other. We are to love others because he loves us. Romans 15, 5 says, God is God of encouragement or endurance and encouragement. We need to endure together and encourage one another to be like God. We are encouraged by being together, by sharing his love with one another. Encouragement in Christ comes from the mutual activity of believers encouraging each other, not from a leader directing them in what they should do. 
Our faith and our hope can be expressed in private by a hermit or someone in a monastery or someone alone on an island. But the exercise of love can only be expressed here in community. And that's why our fellowship with one another is essential to being the church. Jesus said Christians are known by their love for one another, not for the strength of their faith or the amount of their hope. They are known by love. If we don't fellowship, if we don't assemble and meet together ourselves as a believer, you know what will happen? Discouragement will fester in us and also in the body. See, we stir each other up. The music here alone will not stir you up. Just listening to the music here, it's good, but it will not stir you up. The preaching here alone will not stir us up. It is the fellowship with one another that stirs up the believer to love and good works. We become encouraged when we're together. Believers are to act like batteries that should charge each other up and and show the love of Christ to the world. See, Jesus sent out disciples two by two because he knew they would be more encouraged or they would have more courage if they work together. He says when two or more are gathered, he is right there with them because he knew in his presence their love would show his presence. His presence would be there in their presence. He's right there with them. His presence was there when they're together through the power of the Holy Spirit. And they would be encouraged by that. Now, some only go to church to assemble with believers when they feel like it, when they feel they have the need for it. But friends, that's not being the church. That's not being an encourager. That's not Christian love. We gather with believers to encourage someone who needs to stand strong against the tide of discouragements they face in life. Often we are encouraged by our works of encouraging others. I don't go to church just to be encouraged, but to share in the encouragement. To go to church to just be encouraged is selfishness. It's the antithesis of loving one another, which is what Christianity is all about. And and this mindset that many have is often why the church is not stirred up to love and good works. If your sole purpose is to for the church is is to come and have your needs met, you're not being the church. You're being a parasite of the church. You're actually a discouragement to the church, not an encouragement. And and a church full of parasites would be a discouraging place with them all sucking the love and not giving any love back. The one another commands of the New Testament paint a picture of the beauty of mutual human relationship and love. The one another's not only include to encourage one another, but they also include to love one another, to welcome one another, to confess our sins to one another, to pray for one another, to outdo one another in showing honor, to live in harmony with one another, to instruct one another, to care for one another, serve one another, bear each other's burdens, forgive one another, be kind to one another, admonish one another in wisdom so they don't touch the hot stove. 
And when you're not showing up and offering yourself to do those things, you're not encouraging the body, but you're discouraging the body. You're not considering how to stir up God's love in you and yourself and others. You're more like a vampire who's sucking love. That's why Paul encourages you and me and everyone to present yourself as a living sacrifice to God so that you may become encouraging to others. In Romans 12, the rest of the chapter shows that when we start doing that, we have an an encouraging gospel culture that attracts people, even enemies and the uh, uh, even our enemies and, and and the enemies of the church. Because so many live in a discouraging world. So we need to present ourselves here. It's not about just getting information from an organization. Now, just being together and being around one another is not enough. We need to consider the things, like I mentioned, doing those things to build one another up. But there's also things the Bible will tell us to avoid or warn us to avoid that will discourage or tear down the body of the church. Speaking evil against one another, grumbling against one another, measuring ourselves against one another, biting and devouring one another with our words or our actions, envying one another, conceitedly provoking one another, lying to one another, Repaying one another evil for evil or retaliating, hating one another, passing judgment on one about another. All those things are natural to how people treat each people, treat people in the world. But they are not being the church. Now, we all done those things. And we do them because we become discouraged. If you. If you think about the word discouraged, it is to lose courage or to be fearful. We become fearful when we stop considering the gospel and what it really means and and, and stop stirring each other up with it. See, love gives us courage. Love takes away our fears. Our sin discourages us because it makes us actually fearful of God. And we must Consider instead the truth of the gospel that starts with his love, not our sin. Do you realize that the gospel doesn't start with human depravity or sin? It starts with a loving creator. See, before we ever sinned, he knew that we would need to be encouraged by love. So he was purposeful and he set forth a plan before he even created the world for his son to come and perfectly Love us so that we might be encouraged. The Bible says this in 1 John uh, 4, 18 and 19. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And it says we love because he first loved us. See, Jesus came to die for those who were discouraged in their sin. You know, while we are still sinners, the scripture told tells us that Jesus came and died for us. He didn't wait till we cleaned up our act. While we were discouraged, he came and died for us. You know, in a war, 
Sometimes men full of courage will jump on a live grenade to save their brothers and their friends. But, you know, they never do that to save the enemy. God did. Our sin made us all his enemy. But he came as a man, Christ Jesus, to die, to jump on that grenade for his enemies on a Roman cross. And, and we can all have courage because he received our punishment for sin. He perfected us by his love. Some of us, though, believe are discouraged because we believe more in the power of God's punishment than the power of his love. And that's often because people, often sometimes people who are religious have discouraged us in their pride. Jesus instead proved God's perfect love for us because it was considered before we ever sinned. God took the initiative. He sent his peace offering, his very own son. God took the punishment for us. He proved the punishment of death was removed and that sin was gone by walking out of a grave, rising from a grave three days later, promising us forgiveness and everlasting life. We love, we encourage because he first loved. Today, are you discouraged? Then receive his love for you and be perfected by it and gain courage. Obey his love for you and allow it to provoke love in you for others. Be the church, a people who are redeemed and encouraged by his love. Let us not neglect the habit of meeting together. Let's stay together and remind one another of his perfect love for us and find encouragement or courage in that. We need to recognize that the day is approaching. Now, the day can speak of the end times or the end of our lives that eventually will all be faced with judgment. But by faith in his love for us, we can do that without fear because God has not come to punish those who have faith in his son Jesus for their sin. He's come to redeem them. He's come to perfect us by his love. Beloved, be encouraged today in the truth of God's love for you in Jesus Christ. Beloved, be the church. Be encouraging as you share his message. Let us pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you for the truth that you give us, that we can count on it, that it's reliable, that you have loved us in spite of our sin. It is true that we are sinful and that we all fall short of your glory. And now is the time that we can repent and turn from our idols and from our sin and turn to you and receive your love. Father, let us not stay in judgment, but let us return to you, the author of life, the author of our grace. 
the author of our redemption, Jesus Christ. Father, do a, a, a mighty work in each of us. Let us be encouraged today by your love. And let us go forth into the world to encourage others. I thank you for the courage you give me to get out of bed every day. Lord, if there's anybody hearing my voice today that is struggling, let them turn to you right now. Receive your love and be encouraged that they've been loved since before the foundation of the world. And if you are for them, who can really be against them? Let them be perfected today by your love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today, if you'd like somebody to pray with you and encourage you, deacons are out there. Why don't we all stand and, and let's encourage one another as we sing this song of praise and pray with each other.